Aotearoa, New Zealand, has a climate that is conducive to grape growing. Those of us who live in the South Island only need to drive through the Nelson or the Marlborough or the North Canterbury, Wanaka, Cromwell or Queenstown districts to know what I'm talking about. And those of us who have a home garden often nurture our own grapevines with the expectation of enjoying their fruit in due course. We've been pinching the rogue shoots off our 12-year-old grapevine in spring, decluttering the branches of grapes during the growing season, and hard pruning our vine um, at the end of each autumn to foster better growth in the coming season. And it's such a joy when the vine branches produce much fruit. If you look here, I think Don brought this piece of um, vine with some fruit on it. Our grapevine at home has had all the fruit taken by um, grandchildren who love to come and pick the bunches. <laughs> anyway, um, this season we've been able to share bowls of big, juicy black grapes with family, friends and even a new neighbour. And this brings us to this morning's passage. John 15, 1-8, which is all about Jesus, who is the true vine, belongs to the wider literary section of John 12-17, to which is Jesus' farewell address to his first disciples just prior to his death for our sakes. And within this section, Jesus promises that past and present disciples will not be left alone. They will not be abandoned. Rather, we who are followers of Jesus can be confident of our Lord's continuing presence with us in the world. For the writer of John's Gospel understands life and salvation not as some distant heavenly hope, but as the promise of an abundant life here and now through the spirit of the resurrected and the living Lord. As you listened to the reading from our gospel passage today, you may have noted that it began with an I am saying. In fact, it contains the final I am sayings in the gospel. Jesus said, I am the true vine. And his words remind us of God's burning bush call to Moses to lead God's people out of Egypt. We learn from Exodus 3.14 that God said to Moses, I am who I am. And interestingly, there are seven I am statements in Isaiah and seven I am statements in John's Gospel. And these statements in John's Gospel are all about describing who Jesus is. So within the Jewish tradition, the vine was a picture of Israel. God brought Israel, the vine, out of Egypt and planted her in the promised land. Psalm 80, verses 8 to 9 says, You brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and you planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the whole land. Isaiah 27, 2-3 also speaks of this vineyard that the Lord watched over. 
Even so, Isaiah, speaking on, on God's behalf, said that the vineyard of Israel eventually bore wild grapes instead of proper ones. And I read from the song of the vineyard, that is Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning the vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and he cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a, a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Other prophets, like Ezekiel, painted a similar picture. So one needs to know the Hebrew scriptures to understand the radicalness of what Jesus said about being the true vine. That Jesus is the true vine has to do with his relationship to the Father and what that reveals about the Father's love. All that the Father is and does is now seen in this Jesus, who is both the Word become flesh and the one whom God raised from the dead. Everything that the Father does, including his work of pruning and of cleansing the branches, is tempered and understood through the Word that Jesus is and has spoken to his disciples. And we, who are Jesus' disciples, are members of God's true vine, God's true people, if we remain in him. The picture of the vine isn't just a clever illustration from horticultural or gardening. It's about who Jesus is and who we, his people, really are and what's now going to happen to us as a result. Though it always hurts, we must be ready for the Father's pruning knife. God is glorified when we bear good quality fruit, and lots of it. And for that to happen, there will be extra growth that needs cutting away, like our pruning of those runners in spring. And that, too, is an intimate process. The vine dresser is never closer to the vine taking more thought over its long-term health and product productivity than when he has the knife in his hand. And the promise of abiding in Jesus is not for its own sake, nor an end in itself. Jesus imagines and promises a dynamic, dynamic and a changing life for those of us who are disciples in the community of faith. The vine's branches that have withered and died are removed. Branches are pruned and cleansed. And the promise of God's abiding presence in Jesus has been anticipated in Jesus' words in John 14, 1-6, a passage that's frequently used at funerals, which often disguises its intent of giving assurance for life in the present. Jesus speaks of dwelling places in the Father's house prepared for those who believe. 
but use of dwelling places in John 14:23, together with Jesus' promise to come again and take disciples to himself, makes clear that this image is not primarily about going to heaven. Rather, it confirms Jesus' promise to come and to be with his disciples after his resurrection. In the imagery of the vine and the branches, this dwelling place or this home is now developed in the beautiful imagery of the intimate relationship of the Father, Jesus, and Jesus' followers. Just as the you in the passage is always plural, so the intimate relationship of abiding bind together Father, Son, and the community of believers in a way that challenges our culture that would be but would prefer to imagine that it's at a distance from God. And because the Father has raised Jesus from the dead, this word of God, who has become flesh among us, has an abiding and a lasting presence as he continues to dwell amongst us all. So, if we're to bear much fruit, we must abide in Jesus. We've just discussed the meaning of abide, so now let's look at what it means to bear much fruit. If we go back to the beginning of Jesus' farewell discourse, we find that at the Last Supper, Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And in the passage that follows our gospel passage for today, John 15, 9 to 14, Jesus also speaks of love, sacrificial love. So we're to love other disciples, and in fact, all people. And we know from Galatians 5 that love is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And you'll see that Robin has put some lovely pictures um, behind the table there with all the fruit of the Spirit and what they are. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the qualities of love are explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. And on and on that passage goes. It was a lovely passage that was read at a funeral that I took in the church on Friday, and that was the chosen reading, and it was quite a long one. So if you want to know about the fruit of the Spirit, remember to look up Galatians chapter 5. And if you want to know about love and the qualities of love, you'll find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if we abide or remain in Jesus, we'll bear the fruit of love and all the other fruit of the Spirit. That's if we walk in the power of the Spirit and not in the power of our own flesh. 
But conversely, if we don't remain in Jesus, we will be thrown away like a branch that withers. And such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. The choice is actually ours. The urgent question then is this, how do we abide? How do we remain in him? What does it actually look like in practice? Well, we're invited to remain in the community of faith that knows, loves, and celebrates Jesus as Lord. And we're also invited to participate in prayer and worship in our own private, intimate lives. There's no such thing as an individual Christian, though. We're meant to be part of the community of faith, and I'm sure you know that. We can't just go it alone. We will soon wither, and um, we'll end up like the vines that are useless. At the close of today's passage, there's an extraordinary promise about prayer. For Jesus said, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. If we have had our hearts and minds renewed by the presence of God's Spirit, then this promise of Scripture, which is conditional upon abiding, is here for us to claim as we pray. You see, God wants to have an intimate relationship with us. God wants to guide and direct our lives, every aspect of our lives. And God does this as we yield our lives to him and learn to walk in the power of the Spirit that we may display the fruit of the Spirit, including love. We do this when we choose to live a balanced Christian life, worshipping, studying the scriptures, enjoying friendship with other Christians, and serving both in our community of faith and in the world. Then, when we pray, we're more likely to do so in the spirit, and therefore God is pleased to answer our prayers. In this way, God is glorified. In this way, we bear much fruit. In this way, we become a blessing to the world. And in this way, God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.